everyone. Welcome back in. It's another episode of the Wobcast 2.0. Circling the wagons is what the Minnesota Vikings did on Sunday in Buffalo. Using Chris Berman's idiom for the Buffalo Bills, no one circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills is what Chris Berman always says about Buffalo. But it was the Vikings who did indeed do that. Defeating the Buffalo Bills 33-30. to in what was the NFL's game of the year. I'm your host, Mike Wabshaw Wabi, back with you for episode 10 of the Wabcast 2.0, the usual cast of characters by my side. It's Giles, it's Chase, still on a high after a thriller in Buffalo, fellas. What'd you think? Man, oh man, this is simply surreal. That was a, an amazing yeah. game. Uh, obviously, quite a bit of an emotional roller coaster. Uh, there were times where I was on the floor pounding the ground, uh, times that I was up in the air super excited. Uh, but ultimately, I thought we uh, we broke away victorious, obviously. Um, but I think at the end of the day, if you could take away one thing from this game is that we just put the NFL on notice. How about you, Chase? Yeah. What do you think? You know, I'm getting real used to this whole Victory Monday thing. Um, and I'm really starting to enjoy it. So I'll just leave it at that. (laughs) Yeah, it was, um, you know, I I was thinking about this guys, if, you know, is this the Vikings statement win? And I think I'm coming up, I think I'm going to stop a little short of that because I don't think it was like a, a thorough drubbing of an opponent where you just like, you you know, you put your, your stamp on it. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't want to call this their statement win, but, uh, because I think they can play better. Uh, but it's certainly the best team that they have defeated this season. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of people were saying, oh, you haven't beaten anyone. You haven't beaten anyone, right? And mm-hmm. you're playing all these backup quarterbacks and you're not beating anyone. And and so that narrative now, we put that in the, in the trash can. Um, and yeah, there was some miracle to how this whole thing unfolded. Uh, but the bottom line is you beat what everyone thought was the NFL's best team coming into the season. And you beat them when they had their starting quarterback on the field. And you face some adversity. And I, I just I keep thinking about what we talked about last week, guys, the arc of these Vikings games mm-hmm. and how we didn't really love them. And we wanted to level off a little bit. Well, it didn't do that. <laughs> we didn't change the arc. Um, there's still a little bit of up and down and topsy turvy to it uh, and drama to it. But at the end of the day, the Vikings get their eighth win. And this is a game in which the Vikings trailed at the half 24 to 10 and I was talking to Giles earlier, Chase, and I'm like, that Dalvin Cook 81-yard touchdown run in, you know, when I saw that, I wasn't like, oh, here we go. Vikings coming back. I was like, oh, that's cute. That's a nice little, like, you know, uh, you know, a nice little bonus, a little highlight in the second half there for our fantasy teams, you know, <laughs> like it's not going to help us or mean anything, but it, it really did. And I'm not going to call that the impetus to the comeback. I don't know if you could find a single moment that was that. Uh, but the Dalvin Cook 81-yard touchdown run was certainly key in the game and really started um, a, a furious and ferocious comeback by the Vikings, really an improbable one. Um, you know, the Vikings score 13 points in the fourth quarter to force overtime. The last of those 13 points was um, a Josh Allen fumble inside the one that's recovered by Eric Kendricks in the end zone for a touchdown. Never seen anything like this. And of course, none of that is possible without Justin Jefferson's miracle catch on fourth and 18 with, uh, I think it was the first play after the two minute warning. Um, And then of course, Patrick Peterson seals the deal with an interception. So really kind of a storybook uh, finish to that game. Uh, We're going to go over some PFF grades and we'll take a look around the, uh, the NFL and the NFC and see where the Vikings stand uh, with the Philadelphia Eagles still to play their game as we record 
uh, episode 10 of the Wobcast 2.0 on a Monday morning, waiting for that Eagles uh, commanders game. But um, all in all, a great day for the Vikings. I'm sure everyone saw some of the photos and videos from their plane ride home. Uh, we were spared the cringy moments of Kirk Cousins with his shirt off and wearing a bunch of chains. And we saw Patrick Peterson doing that. So uh, really a fun day. And, and guys, when you look back on it, I, you know, I mentioned, I don't know what the impetus was, what the moment was, where the comeback began. Uh, I mentioned some of the highlight plays during the comeback, but what was the moment for you when maybe you got back on the edge of your seat after feeling maybe you were in the doldrums a little bit at halftime? What what got you back up there with your ears perked up thinking about maybe we could win this thing? Yeah, great question. Uh, honestly, call me an internal optimist, but I didn't think we were out the entire game, uh, okay. except for a few moments in the last uh, piece of the game where I thought we had literally lost. Uh, but yeah. beyond that, I thought hey, there's still a chance for us to get back in this thing because if you look at a lot of different micro moments, we shot ourselves in the foot so many times between uh, Ed Ingram literally stepping on Kirk Cousins' foot to just yeah. little boneheaded plays, and we yeah. still maintained our ability to stay in the game. Uh, I think a huge piece of that can fall on the defense where they kept them at bay. Um, but honestly, the whole the whole game, it we we stayed into it. And uh, I think it was rather frustrating when we didn't necessarily come back as quickly as we should have. But I think it just really shows the resilience of our team that we just literally didn't stop. I mean, that was quite a comeback uh, if you compare ourselves to a lot of big, great NFL games over the past decade or so. Yeah. That was one of the greats. Yep. How about you, Chase? What do you think? For me, it wasn't like an exact moment or anything, but it was once Jeff uh, Justin Jefferson had solidified himself as the best player in this game that I was just like, okay, well, maybe we can take that step and maybe we can be beat this team just because it was so, so obvious that Justin Jefferson was playing at a level that no one else was playing at. Um, you, it, was, it got to the point where Kirk could just throw it anywhere in his vicinity and he was going to catch it. He was going to come down with it. Um, mm-hmm. And that was just so fun to watch. I think it was kind of his like coming out game as the best receiver in the NFL. Um, and it was just really fun to watch. So, yeah, it, um, you know, I, I, I kind of got tired of the Randy Moss comparisons last year guys, you know, and I just thought it was an affront to any of us who were around to see the freak play and how that mm-hmm. unfolded. And from a number standpoint, it's really no comparison and it's in, it's in Jefferson's favor. Almost when you just look at raw numbers now we're in a different era, right. than we were when Moss played. So as a generational talent, I think you'd probably still give it to 84, but in terms mm-hmm. of impacting the game and um, leading to victories and, and place in the league, I think Jefferson and the Moss comparisons are fair, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and certainly the Jefferson comparisons to the current crop of receivers, I, I, you know, I think you can make an argument that he's the best, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't think you're being a homer. Uh, I don't think that, it's the only argument to make. I think you could look at DeAndre Hopkins or Devontae Adams or, you know, Cooper cup, some of these others, but Jefferson is right there. And I just go back to another conversation piece that we had last week, guys. Um, and that is, this is, I mean, this is Kirk cousins worst season statistically since he became a starter, not with the Vikings since he became a starter. I think this is probably statistically, his lowest output or lowest mm-hmm. efficiency probably. And yep. Giles may have more insight into that, but um, with the numbers and the data, but yet here, here the Vikings are at eight and one. I just think that's a very interesting dynamic. And the last thing I'll say before, maybe we move on to more of your thoughts, guys, or Giles to some of the PFF things, but there was an article 
uh, at si.com that was uh, already posted. And the, the, the main point of the article was Kevin O'Connell talking about Justin Jefferson's biggest play of the game, which um, contrary to what people would think, not the one-handed grab on fourth and 18. And I didn't know this until he pointed it out, but Kevin O'Connell said that Jefferson had the block that sprung Dalvin Cook on the 81-yard touchdown uh, on yep. a safety. Didn't know that until yep. I read this article. But um, another point that uh, the, uh, the writer in the article made was that um, Quezzi and Kevin O'Connell were crediting the culture of the locker room and the, the veterans and the attitude and the never say die nature that these players had that they inherited um, mm-hmm. and that they knew when they got here that there was a lot of pieces that they didn't have to touch. Uh, mm-hmm. They just needed to put their own spin on it. Uh, but that the the foundation was there. You know, I thought that was a, a nice, and I'm sure that Kevin O'Connell probably said that um, during his interview with the author of the article, uh, but wasn't quoted. Uh, and I thought that was really sort of a nice, good self-awareness by O'Connell and um, makes me feel good about just the leadership that he has over the team, being able to recognize, I don't have to go get all my own guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I can go pluck a guy here and there like a TJ Hawkinson, um, and put this into the machine that was that was already had some good pieces in it. So Vikings just in a really good spot. Excited to hear more um, on some of the individual grades, Giles, that I, I know you've got ready to go for us. Yeah, absolutely. This was a really exciting game. Uh, it was a very interesting game. I think there was some interesting tidbits to come out of it. Yeah. Um, obviously, we won the game. So obviously, we had some people that uh, showed up and showed out. Uh, yep. If you had to guess, who was the best PFF graded offensive player this past game? Wow. Well, uh, how is it? I guess, you know, low hanging fruit, I would guess Justin Jefferson. Um, ding, ding, but... ding, ding, ding. You okay. got it. Okay, uh, that was a, hopefully a layup. Uh, yep. Yeah, I know he graded out with a 91.1 okay. PFF grade, well, which who, is who elite. Was... Yeah, it is. Who was second, though? Because we all would have guessed that. So who was next? Was there anyone else with a 90 or an 88? There was someone with a 90. And this is where I really get uh, excited because last week he did horribly does not even cover it. He did (laughs) awful. Was he the one with a zero? He was a zero. He went from 0.0 pass blocking uh, PFF grade last week uh, to now a 90.2. Okay. And that is elite level play. That isn't like, oh, you played pretty good. That is elite level play. Anytime you get into the 90s, you are elite. Um, So I'm really excited to see once I watch the tape back after yesterday to see what changed because I'm hoping that he just got had last week and he experienced something he had never experienced before and now he went and fixed it and he fixed it in a big way um so that was amazing honestly if you look at the one two three four the top four pff grades besides justin jefferson are all offensive linemen which i think is one of the messages that i want to say away from this game is that uh the offensive line played great minus uh, some steps on kirk cousins's feet uh we yeah. had a really great game up front uh, honestly on both sides of the ball but honestly the offensive line was one of the bigger pieces that led to our success because on the other end of the spectrum not to get too negative guess who was the second uh, first and second worst pff graded players um this is maybe uh, a layup as well but um i will say one was a corner is one a corner? Or I'm uh, sorry, just offensively. Or oh, just on offense. Yeah, oh, just, just on, on offense. offense. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, cousins? Yep. Two picks. He okay. 
played horribly. I mean, in a lot yeah. of respects, he was clutch yeah. in some moments, but uh, holistically, he got a 50.1 PFF grade, which not is great. not great. Okay. Uh, the only one to play worse with, uh, than him was uh, Johnny Munt, and he played like four snaps. So, okay. uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, so Kirk Cousins obviously did not do well, and then right above Kirk Cousins was Ed Ingram, so who is still not playing the greatest. Uh, he's obviously having some issues, especially with yep. his feet, um, which I was explaining to Chase yesterday. He's just simply missetting, uh, which is is a teachable thing. It's just not going to get fixed right away. However, if there's any time to bench him, you know, not to get mean, but if you have to play your best football and put the best 11 guys on the field, if you have to switch him now, may be the time because yeah. Dallas has an amazing defense. Um, they have an amazing defense. Now we're playing an NFC appointment uh, appointment. Um, and this is important for us to win. So I would say if you're going to make a change now, it'd be the time because okay. he train wrecked some drives uh, where it was first and 10 or first and first and goal, honestly. And he steps on Kirk Cousins feet for the second time. And he, yeah. I mean, that's a really difficult thing. So the point is that's not super great. Uh, but ultimately, we had some really great great players across the board. Garrett Bradbury showing off again. Um, I'm really, really pleased with this entire coaching staff uh, mm -hmm. to get more out of him. Um, but honestly, I think uh, uh, we we really got hurt with Christian Derrissaw getting stepped out um, yep. with a concussion. But Blake, Blake Brandall stepped in and had, a, uh, I believe, an 80.2 PFF grade Jeez. in pass blocking. So I'll he did that. great. Uh, which is a really nice leading indicator that if you do have to go down for any amount of snaps, that we can at least be serviceable. I don't know if I necessarily trust Brandell on week over week over week, but if he can step in and play like that, that's exactly what you can ask for. Um, so that's on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, if you had to guess on the defensive side of the ball, who was the number one graded F, uh, PFF player? My Just defense. guess. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's not someone you would think. Okay, no, he I'll, was uh, top five. Yeah, he posted a, a 91 coverage grade and overall 82.4 PFF grade. So he okay. just, he did great. He was a top five player. Um, but I'll give you a hint. The top graded player is not someone you would think of. Hmm. Okay. Um, well, that makes me want to go. That makes me want to go to the interior. Uh, we did have some great interior play, but it is not. I'll give you a second hit. It's in the wow. secondary. And he did not play a ton. I oh, will preface really? it with that. Um, I will also say he was not on the team last week. Like on the, wait, oh, on like the, he wasn't on the roster? Nope. Ding, so ding, ding. Duke we have Shelley? Duke Shelley. He posted wow. an 89.2 PFF grade. Wow. Just did great. Now he didn't play a ton, but in his <laughs> limited snaps, he was the best PFF graded player on defense. Well, that's funny because <laughs> I was I was watching the game with a group of people yesterday, and Duke Shelley had a P had a PBU. God, it might have been in the end zone. Was it in mm -hmm. the end zone? I believe so. Yeah. And yep. he was like celebrating, and someone was like, "Who is that? Who is that? Yeah, Who is exactly. that guy?" And we were laughing yeah. about that. You know, was, who's number twenty out there? Okay, good for yeah. him. <laughs> Good yeah, so honestly, it's always great to see whenever you have depth, uh, because at the end of the day, you're going to face adversity, you're going to face injuries, and you want to make sure you have yeah. at least decent depth to carry you through the rest of the game, and he definitely showed up. This, um, this is a fun game, by the way. Guessing all right, I like this. Grades. Yeah, this is a good So if we, if we break this down to uh, players that contributed for most of the snaps, guess who you think the, the next best-rated uh, player is? Uh, and you were right on your original guess on the interior. Someone on the interior, huh? Yeah. Um, Phillips. Yep. 
He played amazingly. He had an 87.0 PFF grade. Um, and right shortly behind him is Daniil Hunter at an 84.1. Daniil Hunter had a great day. Um, I think Zedaria Smith, um, he didn't play as great. He was more in the 59.8 category. Um, he was dealing with some injury, I think. Um, so Daniil Hunter was far more of a force to be reckoned with yeah. in this past game. Um, Jonathan Bullard also posted a 72.6 grade. Our defensive line played very, very well. Yeah. In my opinion, it's actually the thing that led to our success on defense was up front because our coverage was a bit suspect in some moments. We showed up at the right moments, don't get me wrong, but I think when you look at the holistic portion of the game, we were definitely struggling in a certain uh, categories in the secondary, but our defensive line definitely showed up. Yeah, interesting. Um, so stuff. that gets to the worst graded player, and uh, he is both uh, one of the champions of the game but also the worst performer. Really? Peterson? Yeah. No, you nope. said he was top five. You yeah, said he top, was top five. five. Yeah, yep. Kendricks. Kendricks. Yep. Yeah. Uh, that really shows that he was able to be opportunistic and get that touchdown at the end that helped win the game. Yeah. But he graded a 38.3 PFF grade. So yeah. across the game did not show up very well. I definitely think, like you mentioned last week, we are definitely starting to see the regression of Eric Kendricks, which is tough because he has a really high cap hit. He's a very well-respected person on the team. Don't get me wrong. But I think his age is starting to come into factor, which... If I'm making a prediction, he will not be on uh, a purple uniform next year, yeah. just simply because we can't afford him. It's it's interesting, Giles. You know, you said his age, and I, <clears throat> I got the information right in front of me. But um, you know, he's been in the league eight years already. Mm -hmm. You know, um, so he is not a spring chicken anymore. No. And I will keep a sharper eye out for that. You mentioned regression, and we'll see if that's happening with with 54. And I'll just never remember how difficult Barr and Kendricks were together, mm -hmm. um, you know, with Zim and, and the whole double a gap and mugging it and Harrison Smith on the line too. And man, that, those, that was the heyday for Kendricks. Um, yep. but now he's like the wily vet trying to hold everything together. Um, yep. you know, um, yeah. so interesting. We'll, we'll have to watch that for the rest of the season. Yeah, 100%. Uh, and I think you could make the same argument for Harrison Smith. He posted a 50.6 grade, which is sure. not great. Um, but I think it definitely speaks to, uh, the scheme on top of the scheme when we're thinking about our defense, because mm -hmm. obviously we're playing a three, four base defense and we're playing too high safety a lot. Um, but I think our, our scheme is best when you have really fast players. That is, that is the best way to fit the players to the scheme. And I think in some ways we have some speed in other where in other ways we are very slow, but I think they are taking advantage of that weakness by playing smart players. Cause I do think although Eric Kendricks is getting slow and he's missing tackles and there's some some uh, suspect things going on, he's still a very smart player. And I would say the same thing about Harrison Smith. Harrison Smith has been playing better than Eric Kendricks, but I think you're able to leverage the intelligence of both of them to really take advantage of some situations. Yeah. Um, similar to Patrick Peterson. Now he's playing very, very well, but I think at the end, a lot of people are saying, oh, he got lucky with that pick. I, I could not disagree more, actually. I think Patrick Peterson is smart enough to know the exact types of plays that teams want to play in those situations, and yeah. he put himself into a position to pick that off. Yeah. Um, you don't, I mean, I think Blaster, maybe it was 2019, the Chicago Bears were known as this big takeaway defense, that they took yeah. balls away, they were great at creating turnovers. But I think up until this point for the Minnesota Vikings, people have been calling them lucky and I think at this point you maybe could start calling them an opportunistic takeaway team because we've been getting a lot of picks a lot of turnovers over the past three four five six uh, weeks so I'm, I'm really excited to see where this will take us yeah. uh, because of that intelligence 
So I want, I want, I want to say two things off of what you just said, Giles, and uh, I'll start with the latter of the two um, that you referenced. And that was the interception by Peterson, the second one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think you're a hundred percent correct in that. That was not a lucky pick that Josh Allen threw it behind the receiver. And that's why Peterson got it. Uh, he did throw it behind the receiver and it made it an easier play for Peterson. But had that throw been on the money, I think that's a pass breakup at a minimum for Peterson mm -hmm. because he's yep. in Gabe Davis's hip pocket. Mm -hmm. And I heard Patrick Peterson talking about that after the game. And he said Davis, Davis was lined up wider than normal on that play. And based off a of film study, I knew he was it was an in-breaking route. And mm -hmm. so, I, you know, I think Peterson and I believe him. I believe Patrick Peterson in saying that. You could always say that in hindsight and make yourself look good, but I, I yeah. do believe him. Yeah. The second thing is um, I, I feel like high-scoring teams, teams where you have confidence that our offense is going to be able to score, they, I think, tend to be more opportunistic mm -hmm. defensively with takeaways mm -hmm. because they can jump routes they can go on a hunch or go on their gut and make a play knowing that if I screw this up, I might give up six, but cousins and Jefferson, they got, they got, me, you know, I and yeah. I think there's something to be said for that. And I always thought that was the case with the Packers with Aaron mm -hmm. Rodgers and Mike McCarthy and those Packers teams that scored so many points. I thought their, their defense stinks. The players <laughs> out there stink, you know, yep. but they lead the league in takeaways or whatever, yep. you know, and, and I think that they were able to to be more aggressive because they knew they had 12 in their back pocket who could score. Yep. I think the um, perfect example of that is the Cowboys last year. They were literally yeah. number one in points, yeah. and they had Trevon Diggs. And yep. last year, at least, he was horrible at giving up yardages, but he led the league in interceptions. Yeah. That's because he was just playing go. He's like, I'm yeah. going to pick this off every time. If you score a touchdown, so be it, because I know my team is going to come back exactly. and score points on you again. Yep. Exactly. Um, and then, you know, the other thing, too, that was interesting conversation, just talking about Kendricks and, and Harry and they're getting up there in years and maybe there's some regression, but they're smart players. I think you made a really good point there, Giles. And I would I would be quite certain that when they when the Vikings were building this roster for this season with a new head coach and a new GM, you know, I think if you looked at at their at their roster, at their board, the, the mm -hmm. way I've seen it done, and I, I assume they still do it this way, is like on a, on a big magnetic whiteboard, they'll have, mm -hmm. you know, 2022 and the, and the roster in a column and then 2023 in a column and 2024 in a column, you yeah. know, and they're putting players in there that they think are going to be in there each year and they're taking players out who they don't think. And so then they can see the holes mm -hmm. in the roster. Yep. And I, I'm quite certain that Kendricks and Harrison Smith are not in the 2023 or 2024 board. And so a lot of times when that happens, it's like, well, how soon can we get rid of this guy, get rid of this roster spot, get rid of this cap uh, mm -hmm. hit, and then replace that with one of our guys, mm -hmm. right? Yep. So that's, that's the exercise you're going through. And I am, I'm pretty confident they took a look at 54 and 22, and they're like, I know that they may not be in the long-term plans. But as mm -hmm. we're getting going here as a new regime, we need those guys. Those, that's, mm -hmm. those guys are glue guys. Yep. You know, when, when S hits the fan, well, we can rely on them, you know, and yep. yep, they might be a step slow, but they're going to pick up this defense. They're going to be good leaders yep. for the younger guys. And so it's almost like they're sealing their own fate. Kendricks and, and Harry, 
you know, by mm-hmm. being such good leaders and by training the youngsters so well, they're training guys who are going to replace them eventually. But that that is life in the NFL, right? Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean their careers are going to be over. Kendricks may very well go on and play for someone else and do do great. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, we've seen a lot of coaches. I mean, you know, Belichick is very well known for that. Taking mm-hmm. older, you know, taking veterans from other play from other teams who have lost their way or lost a step and making it work for him. So there may be a place in the league for Harrison Smith and Eric Kendricks, but it may not be with the Vikings. But point being, I think the the new leadership with the Vikings valued those guys very much and kept them, even though they may have seen a regression unfolding before we did. Yep. And I'm thankful that they did because I don't think we would have won that Bills game without Eric Kendricks. I think a rookie in that position would not have been able to recover that uh that fumble, honestly. Yeah. I mean, that's. I mean, you can make an argument that that's not the case, but that's my opinion. Um, I think that veteran leadership uh, was the juice that got us over the hump in all those given situations between yeah. Patrick Peterson, Eric Kendricks, and all of that. Yeah, and the other thing too is, you know, I bet you there was a player two or three or five where Kendricks got beat and he was, you know, you know, hit himself in the head or whatever, <laughs> was bummed out, you know. Yeah. Um, but he he trusts himself and he knows himself and he doesn't mm-hmm. get discouraged. Whereas a younger player in that spot at Buffalo facing Josh Allen, facing Stefan Diggs, you get roasted on a seam route. You might kind of be down and out for the game. Yeah. Like, you know, oh, my where, career's over. They're going to bench me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whereas, you know, Kendricks yeah. is going to stay cool and be a leader and all that. So yeah. um, similar know. to Andrew Booth, for example, he played yeah. maybe nine snaps. If that uh, posted a very, very poor PFF grade and then was benched. Okay. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, yeah. I don't know if you noticed that, well, but then they put in uh, Shelley, and then he played much better. But the point is that can have a much different impact on someone like Andrew Booth than it would be on someone that's more veteran. Yep. Exactly. Um, all right. Any other uh, data or stats we need to get to from this game? Um, well, because we still have Monday Night Football, I can't give you rankings for the league yet unless we factor out the Dallas Cowboys, which wouldn't be yeah. fair. So we'll uh, we'll come back with the rankings next week. Yeah. Uh, well, but otherwise, yeah, no, we're uh, we're improving in a lot of categories. I think uh, offensive line looking much better. Um, Ed Ingram's still a little suspect, but I think uh, we're moving forward in a lot of categories where uh, the Dallas Cowboys are going to present an interesting challenge. But I don't know. How about you, Chase? Do you have any final takes? Um, not much. I'm just. I was really impressed with the depth that I saw last week, and I'm kind of looking to see how that's going to carry us into the second half of the season here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, the other thing, it's such a momentous, huge victory for Minnesota, and I, there's great separation between the Vikings and the rest of the division. And I was mentioning this also yesterday to some to some people. You can't, if you're the Vikings, even though these are exciting wins, you know, and you're invigorated and, and you've got your eye on a, a much bigger prize, it's kind of easy to just like, oh, we got a four-game lead on, on the division and rest on your laurels a, a little bit. But you just can't do that here if you're the Vikings because, like, I'm watching Seattle and Tampa, you know, and in the morning, and I'm like, geez, look at Seattle's record. Like, you're, like, you're low-key, like, really hoping Seattle loses here if you're the yeah. Vikings. Like, you know <laughs> what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, and then it's like the Packers and Cowboys are playing and a lot of people in, in Minnesota are like, Oh, I hope, you know, green Bay loses, you know, I never cheer for Dallas, but I am today. And I'm like, are you? Cause yeah. like da- Dallas, you don't want Dallas to win a bunch. Like the Vikings are winning and staying on top. But I mean, if they're not careful, they could be the three seed or four seed yeah. as it is. There's a lot of football left. Yeah. I mean, so <clears throat> you got to keep winning these games 
and and this is um, bridging me to the next part of of the show here, guys. And that's just taking a look around the league and and the NFC. The Vikings have three straight home games coming up here: Dallas, New England, and the Jets. And it's coming at a pretty key time as they need to keep winning. But the other thing is they don't play outside until January 1st. I, bl- I believe that's their next outdoor game mm-hmm. is January 1st. So even when they go on the road, they're going to be in controlled environments. Um, and so I think they've kind of gotten through the teeth of their schedule a little bit here. Or, or maybe they're on the backside of the toughest, you know, three or four game stretch. Um, yeah. You know, New England doesn't. The Vikings should be able to handle New England. But the variable there is it's after what will be a very difficult opponent in Dallas, and it's on a short weekend. It's Belichick, you know. So that I think is a tough one. And it's seven p.m. Yeah, and I feel a little yeah prime time. Yeah, <laughs> I feel good about their 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 chances against the Jets. Uh, but these next two, Dallas and New England, will be very interesting games. Um, and we mentioned last week, guys, that the Vikings Bills game would be sort of a tone setter for the national narrative surrounding the Vikings for the rest of the season. They won the game and they won it in the way they won it. The Vikings will no longer be under the radar, uh, mm-hmm. which they've flown under the radar for the first nine games. Yep. Not happening anymore. They are yep. squarely on everyone's radar, including Correct. the Dallas Cowboys, uh, yep. who are coming off a loss to Green Bay and will be um, itching to get back on on the right side of the win-loss ledger, maybe getting mm-hmm. Ezekiel, Ezekiel Elliott back. Um, so that will be a very fun game next week. Mm-hmm. So quick thought. If uh, the Eagles lose to the Commanders tonight, because uh-huh. it's a divisional game, anything can happen in a divisional game, and we beat the Cowboys next week, do you think the Vikings could be considered the best team in football right now? Yes, I, I do. Um, and I'm happy to get into that or or – pontificate but short answer is yeah i do and and i think to me it's not just the win loss record it's the feeling of destiny and magic around it like Mm -hmm. teams that make a run have that Mm -hmm. but they have that about them and the vikings have that yeah we got the juice yeah so i think they should be considered one of the best teams right now Mm -hmm. if they beat dallas and if the Eagles lose, it's to me, it's an absolute. What yeah. do you think? Yeah, 100%. I think uh, uh, Eagles seem like a team that was on a magic carpet ride at the beginning of the season. They also have, like, statistically the easiest schedule in football this season. Oh, like, really? I mean, they have the easiest yeah. schedule. And that's not to take their wins away, but it's something to be considerate of. And now the hardest part of their schedule is coming up, where I do project them to lose a game or two, which... It's exciting to me because one, I want the one seed, but two, I want to show the rest of the league that they peaked early and we're peaking late um, yeah. Yeah. in terms of our actual performance. But yeah. I, I think we should be considered one of the best. And I think if that does happen, I think you could make an argument that we're number one uh, unless, yeah. until we play the Chiefs. So that's the only other team in football that I think would hold a candlestick to us. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. What do you what do you think, Chase? Oh, I, th- I think Wabi, I think you nailed it right on the head. Um, there is this whole like, dramatic side of a, of a successful season that a lot of teams mm-hmm. have and i think that the vikings definitely have it this year um and it's just it almost feels like a fairy tale sometimes but i'm kind of just waiting to get burned but yeah. <laughs> i don't i don't really know <laughs> we'll have to see what happens but i don't know it sure is exciting I, th- I think we're definitely in the conversation for top of the league for sure so yeah it's in, it's interesting you know so often in when you get a team like the vikings with a record of eight and one it's like you almost it's, it's going to go almost one of two ways where 
a lot of teams in that spot, they hit some sort of weird cold streak, right? Yep. Where Cardinals last year. Yeah, where it's you you drop three in a row or four out of six or something. And it's like, we know we're good. We were eight and one. We know we're good. We're just, yeah, we did, we're shooting ourselves on the foot and, mm-hmm. you know, something unlucky happened. And then they recover and they ramp it back up again at the at the end of the season. I think the other way it can go is you just keep going. You just keep mm-hmm. winning. Right. And mm-hmm. you, you, you're the you're the blue chip team going into the playoffs. You're the team with two losses going into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. You're the one seed. And then the questions you face are, do we rest guys at the end of the season when we got all wrapped up? Uh, no, we don't. We're going to play everyone because we don't want to get rusty. And then it's like how oh, we got a first round bye, which is great. And home field advantage, which is, which is great. But we're not playing in the first round of the playoffs. Is that going to like that's that's the other way that this thing could go. Can't wait to see what happens. It's such a week to week league. You never know. But, you know, I look at I look at the Dallas Cowboys who are going to be coming into U.S. Bank Stadium next Sunday. And I see a team that defensively has got a little bit of that juice that we're talking about that the Vikings have as a team, you know, they got a little magic to them and they kind of fly under the radar a little bit um, Mm -hmm. in terms of how good their defense is. Now they, they didn't look great at Lambeau yesterday uh, playing the Packers, but there are some players on that Cowboys defense that can ruin games if you're Mm -hmm. not careful. So the Vikings are going to have to mind their P's and Q's and make sure that that does not happen. Mm Mm-hmm. I could not agree more. I think Micah Parsons is a force to be reckoned with. And I think yep. uh, although our offensive line played pretty well this past week, that is going to be one of the storylines, in my opinion, either for or against. If we win the game, I think it'll be another scenario where our offensive line showed up and showed out. And if we lose the game, I think it'll be lost in the trenches. Yeah. And that environment, I think, at U.S. Bank Stadium is going to be awesome <sighs> Yeah. on, on Sunday. I, that's phenomenal um yeah it's going to be great um and you know it's just it's going to be another chapter in what's been a a fairy tale season for the vikings can't wait to see how it unfolds and and sort of where the vikings will sit at that point and then it's like quickly turn around and get ready for the patriots on a short week playing them on thanksgiving night mm-hmm. and talk about being squarely on everyone's radar nationally how about playing on thanksgiving night against the patriots right yeah. so um that's only going to get amplified here as as the season goes along Really, really fun time right now uh, for the Minnesota Vikings and the fan base and for people like us who are talking about them uh, and doing podcasts. Lots of great content. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that'll do it for episode 10 of the Wobcast 2.0. Lots of fun happening right now for the Minnesota Vikings. We want you all to be a part of the conversation. So make sure you catch the Wobcast 2.0 every single week. You can do that wherever you find all your favorite podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. Uh, make sure you check us out on YouTube as well. Social media, at Wobby on Twitter. And you can email the show, therealwobcast at gmail.com. We will be back next week, if not before then, with another episode of the Wobcast 2.0, hoping for a recap of another victory. This would be a big one for the Minnesota Vikings as they get set to host the Dallas Cowboys, another team of the elite caliber with their eyes on a potential Super Bowl this season and a team that's got a roster of star players just like the Minnesota Vikings. So should be a fun one. Until then, though, this is Wabi for Giles and Chase signing off for now. Skull Vikings.